Hey guys, it is Wednesday, October 16th. This week on the podcast, Jordan Last joins me to discuss his project, PodCrypt. Jordan's a pretty cool guy. He's an entrepreneur at heart, and he is the founder and developer for PodCrypt. PodCrypt allows you to listen and optionally donate back to podcasts automatically, fairly, via a peer-to-peer method. As always, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain. All right, guys, enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. How you doing, Jordan? Doing well. Having good, a good day. Good. How's your Friday going? It's fun. Just uh, doing tons of podcrypt and podcasting and programming. So tell me a little bit more about yourself um, and for the audience so they can kind of get an idea of who you are and your background. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area in California. I always have loved tech. My dad did software engineering, so I always looked up to him for that. And I graduated with a degree in computer science from Brigham Young University a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I love open source. I love the web, you know, software engineering, software development is just kind of what I'm into. And I've I've also been listening to podcasts for like 15 years now, so I'm just a big fan of uh, you know podcasting, software, all of it, and blockchain, of course, and cryptocurrency. What attracted you to blockchain and, and podcasts and whatnot? Yeah, I've always like technology, at least like our digital technology and the internet. Ever since I was very young, like I was born in in 1991, so right mm-hmm. at the dawn of the web, essentially. And it's just fascinating to me for some reason, like just everything you could do. I mean, video games helped like the N64 and stuff, which is mind blowing. But yeah, being able to get in chat rooms and like talk to people anywhere in the world and Yahoo Ligans with all its cool little games and stuff. And I don't know, just something about it just has always fascinated me. So I always uh, just kind of tinkered around and tried to make little websites or tried to learn how to program and just just tinker with it and then um it was kind of obvious for me what to choose for college like i started in computer engineering and then i switched to full computer science and partway through uh, my college years i did a education technology startup and i was the cto which is essentially the you know the programmer in charge of all of our software infrastructure all of our hardware infrastructure I had to think about scaling and you know what would happen if we had tons of users, which we never had. So actually, it's probably a little bit of a waste of time for me to think about it so much. But I did think about it, and it was just always a pain. Like no matter what, no matter what hosting provider, no matter if we're using AWS or you know an infrastructure as as a service or platform as a service that was supposed to abstract it away, it was it was complex. It was like a Dominic Williams from Definity describes the current like tech stacks as Rube Goldberg machines, where you just have all these interlocking pieces that like are just doing just crazy stuff, and it's you know it's hard to get the security right and it's hard to get it to actually scale and the the mental models are complex. So as I was kind of digging through all those things, I I was trying to come up with you know making this all better and you know decentralization in a protocol. I, I mean, I, I'm a student of the internet. I love the internet stack, mm-hmm. the set of protocols and and 
know, I kind of go back to those a lot whenever I think about this. And like they did something amazing with the communication of data, being able to send data from one process or machine anywhere in the world to another process or machine. And the way it achieves is through a massive amount of decentralization. And so I started thinking, how could I, how could I decentralize our databases? Like, could I somehow get our machines, you know, when people's browsers are open, maybe they could be the database and they could share data. And and then I won't have to deal with keeping all this infrastructure up. And so, yeah, just, just thinking thoughts like that. Somehow I found my way to Bitcoin and Ethereum mid like spring 2017. Mm -hmm. I decided this seems very intriguing. It's time to really dig in. And to do that, I listen to a ton of podcasts. So I've been in ever since, just trying to learn everything I can. And uh, now I'm trying to to help build this revolution. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, an, I'm a 90s baby as well. It, it's really cool to grow up with dial-up internet. <laughs> like they're uh, 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 yeah. with like AOL and everything. And then get to the point where we're almost in 2020 and we have pretty sophisticated AI. We have virtual reality just on the horizon here, right about to really kick off and AR and augmented reality. And and with now with blockchain really gaining ground and all these new technologies creating different foundations for our world and solving real world problems. It's really cool time to grow up and being a 90s kid, it's it's really interesting to to watch that development from the beginning of the internet when it really was first getting started to where we are now where it's it's so fast and it's so fast and vast and ever changing. It's yeah, it's a fun time to be alive. It's fascinating. Like there's so many parallels to how the internet and web has developed in, in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space now. So I'm very optimistic. Yeah, me too as well. I, I share the same sentiment. So let's let's talk about PodCrypt a little bit. I know that, like you said, you, you got into podcasts as well. I, I assume you listen to quite a few and you enjoy them as much as I do. How did you decide to start PodCrypt or what was the um, original idea or inspiration behind that? Yeah, so I'm also like, I love technology, but I'm also, I feel like I am an entrepreneur uh-huh. at heart. So I'm always, you know, kind of thinking of ideas and I would love to financially support myself and have an actual successful startup. Right. I've already been involved in a few. So yeah, just kind of just being involved in the space, the Brave project kind of came on uh, under my radar and I thought it was a brilliant project to be able, if people don't know, the Brave browser is essentially a browser that blocks all third-party advertisements by default. And then it lets you donate to websites based on how much attention you give Mm -hmm. to each website. And so the model was just very intriguing to me. And I, I don't remember the exact inception of the idea, but essentially I thought, well, wait a minute, what couldn't we do the same thing for podcasts and the more I thought about it, like you have to create a podcast app if you're going to be able to have that kind of data about, you know, how the user is is spending their time on each podcast. And Brave didn't seem to be covering that use case. Um, they might later with an SDK that they're going to come out with, I've heard. But yeah, it seemed like, you know, this is a open field. It's kind of intersection of 
many things that I enjoy. So it seemed like a natural fit to pursue. I, I use Brave as well. I actually have it in my browser right now. Um, and it works really well. And it's it's obviously a project that's also very early, but I really mm-hmm. like the concept behind it and the fact that they're using this auto distribution model to reward the, the website creator, to reward the person that's putting out content or that's providing something um, on the internet to the world. And that idea definitely has grown on many other platforms as well. Um, and we've seen it on Steam. We've seen it on Scent, um, which is also getting really popular. And I was kind of wondering for a while if we were going to have one for podcasts um, because podcasts are growing tremendously in popularity. So I was very excited when I saw what you were doing with PodCrypt because it's not only a really good idea, but it solves a lot of problems for podcasters that are putting out content that don't necessarily want to run ads um, because ads mm-hmm. aren't always attractive and they kind of take away from the entire vibe of the podcast. And that, maybe that's not in every case, but I've definitely noticed that it, throughout different industries where you need advertisers to make money. Um, as an artist or as a creator. And I think it's a really interesting uh, thing to introduce to podcasts. So I, I really like what you're doing with PodCrypt. Definitely dive into this a bit more with you. So how does PodCrypt um, work exactly? I know that it works like an, as an auto distribution hub for podcasters, but can you tell me a little bit more about how PodCrypt works um, in, in a little bit more detail? Yeah, sure. So essentially, it is a a podcast listening app or a pod catcher, similar to any of the other popular ones. Like, uh, you know, Apple has their own podcasting app, uh, Mm -hmm. Overcast, Stitcher, Podcast Addict on Android. So it's it's the same concept. Every podcast is available, essentially, um, because it uses, uh, PodCrypt uses the iTunes search API. So it will search every podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, If it's not available on there, you can always take the RSS feed of your podcast and and pop it straight into the search bar on PodCrypt and it will pull it straight up. So you can listen to anything. And what I've built on top of that is PodCrypt will keep track locally in your browser of how much time you spend on each podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I've also built in a an Ethereum, uh, a cryptocurrency wallet. I'm starting with Ethereum. Other cryptocurrencies will follow, but a, a wallet is built into the into the the browser into the app, and you can load funds into that wallet, and so you have a balance, and then you can set a payout amount. So, for example. Mm-hmm. $10 is, is what you want to, to donate and you can set an interval. So I, I think most people are probably just familiar with, yeah, I'll, I'll pay $10 a month for something. So you could, you could choose an interval of 30 days. I have an interval of seven days usually, right. but you can set it to anything you want essentially. So that's, that's how it works. You, you listen to podcasts and you can set up one recurring donation to automatically be split between all the podcasts and PodCrypt also takes a, uh, comes up as a line item 
uh, with the other podcasts when you're donating. So Podcrypt gets a percentage as well. Gotcha. So it's fully automated in a lot of ways. So basically when someone, it, it defines like where your attention is being placed on these other exactly. podcasts, correct? So, and then it auto distributes based on how much attention you give to one podcast versus another. Yep. And, and that's, I think it's important. It's extremely automatic. It is as automatic as I could possibly get it right now. You just load up your balance, set your payout amount and set, set your interval. And then you don't really have to look at it if you don't want to after that, it, it will take care of it. And it's privacy. I'm trying to focus a lot on privacy and decentralization. Mm-hmm. Like everything happens client side. I don't custody your funds or your keys. I, there's really, I have one server running just for a proxy to, to deal with some browser security issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, this is, it's essentially open source software that I give to you and you, you do what you want with it essentially. So for, for not the podcaster, but for the listener. So when a listener deposits um, Ethereum into their Ethereum address with PodCrypt, um, so that they can auto distribute. What what's the incentive behind uh, the listener doing that, or is there going to be an incentive in the future? Because I know, like with other platforms, like um, Sense, for example, if someone uh, distributes a small amount of Ethereum, let's say eight cents, to somebody because they like their content, they have an incentive to do that because anyone else that distributes ethereum to that same piece of content after them they get a piece of that a small portion of that i believe that's how their platform works so there's an incentive to not only put out content but to like or comment on someone else's content as well and to engage is that something that's in podcrypt now or that you're looking at doing in the future yeah right now so everything is focused on creating the minimum viable experience. So I want to make an MVP to try to, to, to reach product market fit, essentially to see if this idea is even going to catch right. on. So for now, no, it's just pure. If you want to donate, here's an avenue for donating. So yeah, that's, that's how it is now. Um, if you look at there, I have a roadmap up at podcrypt.app slash about, mm-hmm. and one of the things I do want to experiment potentially next year, most likely would be, yeah, similar to Patreon. Like, all right, if you donate, you somehow get exclusive access early, like early releases. I've even thought of potentially doing like a token model as in if, you, if you're if you a podcast, you could create a token for your podcast and and your listeners would receive the token as they listen and maybe you could use that for, I don't know, perks on the platform or gotcha. some kind of point system. I, but, but the, the, but the, the problem is a lot of these ideas, even sent and like steam and all these things, I think they're, well, obviously they're all new and unproven. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful and, and kind of prove out my assumptions one at a time before I try to do something crazy, I guess. No, I, I totally understand that. What, one idea actually that would be kind of interesting is like you're talking about like if someone like in the future, if someone contributed to someone else, um, gave them Ethereum or distributed Ethereum to them, that they could receive like a token back 
it'd be really interesting to like do like an ERC 721 token um, for individual podcasts where where they're contributing a certain amount and they earn like a token that that is non-fungible uh much like an nft where it's completely yeah that'd be interesting yeah where it's completely unique and that might hold some value depending on how popular the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. there's some interesting angles you could definitely play with that oh yeah i just so for example like i'm not thinking you'd receive it for for donating but you'd receive it just based on your time Mm -hmm. listened so like for example you could have like a badge, a non-fungible badge uh, that yeah. you receive if you reach like 20 hours of listening or something. And I don't know. That's a cool Yeah, that, that would be really interesting. There's, there's probably how, lots of it. How many podcasters have you onboarded so far? Because I know you were working on that not too long ago. And um, I pay attention to the Telegram group when I have time. But um, where are you at with that now? There's like 25 podcasts mm-hmm. verified. So there's going to be fewer podcasters. Some of them have multiple podcasts. Um, so yeah, and they're all in the crypto space right now. Yeah, that's a good start. I mean, and especially to have them in the crypto space because that obviously helps push the the agenda of the platform and everything. Yeah. When did you launch PodCrypt? So came up with the idea last summer. Did validation, didn't seem to work out. Um, last uh, the end of last summer, picked it up again in january mm-hmm. of this year um you know late december january did some validation for a couple months and i really started working on podcrypt developing it at the end of february released the pre-alpha in march released the alpha in april i believe okay march or april we were in alpha until uh, about one week ago and i released the beta last uh, friday gotcha yeah i think i saw or that saturday yeah, so you guys are you're definitely very early with this, um, which is good though, and it's so far been really pleasing to use, very easy. Um, I haven't noticed any issues cool, with it. You. Yeah, it's. I mean, my philosophy is ship early and often, and iterate, and just try to get feedback. So, and I personally, I, I made a goal uh, when I started developing it. I publicly said I'm not going to use any podcast apps except for podcrypt from now on until i get the mvp out and i have i stuck to that and i use podcrypt for everything that's good so i listen a ton so i'm just i'm just kind of thinking here because i I have so many ideas running through my head now (laughs) it's it's cool learning about something like podcrypt when it's like really early and brand new because then you start thinking about all the different directions it could possibly go and all the things it could possibly do especially when you have like an auto distribution type model for podcasts, which are growing tremendously. I'm sure you're well aware of that. Mm-hmm. What about like a mobile version? Have you like thought of doing something like an app or something that would go uh, on the phone? It, it is a mobile already. Oh, it is? Uh-huh. Is there an app for it or you just... just um... You just go to just go to podcrypt.app and that's it. Um, it's a progressive web app. So okay. yeah. So if you have an Android device, you can add it to your home screen. It it's its own icon comes up in the app drawer it looks and feels and acts like a native app essentially so um on ios it's it's a little it's a little farther behind but yeah it's definitely built to work just fine in safari okay so you just you google google it in safari and pull up the website and then save it to your home screen yep just yeah you just go to podcrypt.app and then there it is it will 
has all the same functionality across every platform. I mean, there's there's a few minor issues, um, especially with iOS, but it's it's essentially it all works. Have you thought about doing a, a native standalone app for it? Yeah, I definitely thought about it, but definitely it, it's not in. No, I, I'm not not going to do that most likely okay. um, for a few reasons. So, what are the main reasons that you can? Uh, I mean, one is I really don't want to accept Apple's terms and, and be subject to their arbitrary uh, rules. Okay. Um, another is I, I don't believe in in the native app development model. Like as a developer, I feel like it's overly complicated and it doesn't. It really doesn't make sense to have to develop an app using technologies for one platform versus another when you're building a, a universal application that it, it's the same on every platform. Right. So there's really no reason why you should be, have to have multiple implementations. And so with one code base, one person working part-time in six months, this app works on every major platform. And you just cannot get that with a native app. No, it's interesting. I haven't heard that perspective before. It, it makes sense too. I don't know if they have it or not, but it'd be interesting if they had a decentralized app store. Not, and I'm not talking like OpenSea where they have all these games and everything, um, but like apps that are just decentralized and don't belong to the Apple store or don't belong to the Android store. Like, does that exist already? Well, I mean, in my opinion, like the web is that app store. Like, right. The web is the, the greatest distribution platform for applications ever conceived right. or implemented, in my opinion. So, I mean, progressive web apps is, is a, it's it's young, but it's definitely a new paradigm that's coming up. And so, I mean, you can go to like websites like pwa.rocks and it has like a directory of, of, uh, of progressive web apps. I think the Google Play Store allows you to submit progressive web apps to their store. So, I mean, I don't think, yeah, there's, there's not like a decentralized app directory as far as I know, okay. but I feel like the web is, is that path forward in my opinion. Would, so the biggest thing with listening to podcasts, at least with me, and I'm sure it is for a number of people is being able to, to download it and then have it on your phone offline. Um, for mm-hmm. when you go on the plane or you go on a long road trip or whatever, be, being able to use the little personal computer in my pocket to listen to a podcast without having to access the internet um, the entire time for the podcast. Are you, because I know that there's, I believe there's a download feature with PodCrypt, correct? Does that yeah. download it works. onto your phone off the internet? Uh-huh. It does? Okay. Yep. Yep. It sure does. On iOS and Android and the desktops. Okay. Yeah. I definitely need to check it out then. <laughs> I didn't know you guys um, were were able to do that uh, for a mobile version. So that, yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that was uh, pretty much I spent the summer figuring that out. It was kind of difficult to deal with, uh, especially iOS, but it all works now. So. That's good. And so in terms of growth for PodCrypt, how are you looking at growing it? Are you trying to get to a seed round or get a VC at some point? Are you going to just start small with it and grow it naturally? Or what's, what's your tentative plan for that? Yeah, right now, tentatively. um, Yeah. I want to bootstrap and keep my team small, keep everything lean. I would love to go full time on it. So 
I am actively trying to seek like non-equity funding. So, you know, grants, essentially grants mm-hmm. or, or maybe I'll just save up enough money in the next few months and then, and then go full time. But I mean, before I reach product market fit or, you know, before I see the growth over the last few months looking like it's going to be definitely successful, I'm kind of keeping the risk low and I, I don't want to deal with venture capital at this point. Right. So that's kind of my plan. What about private investments outside of like a, like a VC? Oh, like an angel? Yeah. I mean, potentially. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm open to, to talk to anyone about it, but. Right. No, I'm just curious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not seeking it, I guess. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just very curious um, because it's, a really good product so far. And I'm just kind of curious um, what your thoughts were on it and everything. But I mean, there's no right or wrong way of how to, to grow something like that. Um, especially when it's, we're in a time of um, being able to <laughs> crowdsource and funds through tokens all over the world now and all, all these different ways to raise money. It'd be another interesting way to do it too. I know ICOs have kind of taken a, a negative image in the media lately or have been portrayed negatively in the media, that'd be an interesting way as well to raise money to build PodCrypt too, to do like an ICO or to um, crowdfund it at some point. Yeah, I've considered that. I don't really want to make a, a token or coin for PodCrypt, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I can't think, I don't, do you have ideas for other ways to crowdfund that like Kickstarter? Well, I mean, you could do like is what I can think Kickstarter of. and I forget what, or Indiegogo or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. But those would be really interesting too. I just, since it's kind of related to crypto, I just brought the whole ICO thing. I personally would have no idea how to do an ICO, nor would I want to do an ICO just because you put a red flag up on it and then the SEC starts looking at you and um, it just creates issues. And Well, yeah, it'd definitely be regulatorily complex and expensive. So Yeah, from a regulatory standpoint, it'd be a little bit of an issue. But I mean, there are a lot of ways to crowdfund nowadays. So it, it'd be interesting to do like um, something on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. That would be. I mean, I might as well try. It's not, I don't feel like I would lose much. It wouldn't take that long to put it together. And Yeah, why not? If it fails, I'll just be sad and embarrassed, but that's fine. Like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you got an interesting product and it works really well. And I mean, to get to the next stage, I can't imagine it being a ridiculous uh, dollar figure. So, I mean, why not put it up on Kickstarter and see what happens? Yeah, I think I'll definitely think about that more now. Kind of pivoting from that to back to some of the stuff and the details with PodCrypt. Mm -hmm. I, I know that you can use just Ethereum right now, but is the plan in the future to expand it so that people can auto distribute with Bitcoin on the platform or a different kind of altcoin. Um, I know in the timeline you mentioned using DAI. What are your plans for for that in terms of expanding different ways to uh, contribute to a podcast? Yes. What you said is definitely what I'm planning on doing. So right now the wallet only supports ETH and podcasters can only accept ETH. But uh, the the next major thing that I'm going to work on is essentially allowing the user to have uh, create a framework for the user to have any cryptocurrency and be able to donate to podcasters who accept any cryptocurrency. I want to build that framework in so it's easy on the programming side to add that in, but I'm going to start with DAI, mm-hmm. the decentralized stablecoin that's pegged to the US dollar. 
and USDC I might add after that because DAI and USDC will be very, very similar uh, on the programming side to add. And then the first one outside of the Ethereum blockchain will probably be Bitcoin because it's Bitcoin right? and the network effects and the zealotcy of, of people who own Bitcoin, I think will be very helpful to the adoption of mm-hmm. PodCrypt. There's some technical issues. I mean, I think anyone relatively familiar with Bitcoin understands that the fees, mm-hmm. the transaction fees aren't super friendly, but... You could do something with Lightning Network. Uh, I mean, I, personally, I'm not a fan of the Lightning Network. And also, I just think to, to technically do the Lightning Network, I think it would be the, the user experience might be hard to actually get down. But I think the, the Bitcoin layer one might be good enough because uh, the PodCrypt's use case is you send out a bunch of transactions at once. And so I will be able to batch mm-hmm. many transactions into one. And so I can consolidate the fee. So you can pay like all of your podcasts and you'll pay one Bitcoin uh, transaction fee instead of a fee for each. Combining that with SegWit and mm-hmm. maybe if they can implement Schnorr signature to stuff, you know, it, it might be it might be viable for a few years. I mean, the so I think I can do it in the short term. In the long term, I think Bitcoin's on a, a path to destruction, essentially. So we'll see what happens. But short term, I think I can add it. Interesting. Why do you think why do you think Bitcoin is on a destructive path? So I mean, just technically they the technical architecture of the layer one is not going to scale. There's a fixed amount of block space. So there's a fixed number of transactions that can go uh, per, you know, every 10 minutes, you only have a fixed number of transactions that can get in there. And the block reward is going down steadily, like every four years it halves, right? Mm -hmm. So as the block reward goes down, you need to compensate the miners with transaction fees. And so the block reward is going down and it's going to go down quite a lot within like 16 years, it'll be like below a Bitcoin or so. And so as that goes down, the number of transactions cannot increase based on how, you know, I mean, there were huge debates over increasing the block space and the Bitcoin core developers refused to do it. And so if you, don't increase the number of transactions, you have to increase the price of the transactions to compensate. So it's not going to scale on layer one. So Lightning is is the solution, essentially, is the proposed solution. Mm-hmm. But Lightning takes on-chain transaction fees to on-ramp and off-ramp. And so if Lightning achieves mass adoption, I, I just feel like there's going to be still an issue. Like Even if Lightning scales, the layer one's not going to scale. And so it's still going to be very expensive. And then if you stay within Lightning, well, then you've just created this second layer solution that is not Bitcoin anymore. It's now Lightning, which Lightning doesn't have the properties of the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin network itself does. So I just don't, I don't know. I I still, I mean, I, I invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum, but I'm just, I'm skeptical with uh, Bitcoin's future. For scaling, no, no worry. I'm I'm skeptical about the entire space all the time. <laughs> it's healthy, <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, I mean, technically, when you look at it, 
uh, Lightning Network, at least in my opinion, Lightning Network looks like a fairly viable solution, at least for right now. Um, because instead of placing one transaction into a block on the blockchain, you're you're placing an entire ledger of transactions um, that can happen over a given period of time and at almost limitless amount, which definitely helps solve the scalability of Bitcoin. And how are they going to make that easier? I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I've used Lightning Network and it does have a lot of promising benefits. And I don't see people using Bitcoin on an everyday basis unless you believe in the, the zealot part of Bitcoinism. I'm making that yeah. word up, Bitcoinism, where <laughs> you, you think that a single Bitcoin is going to be worth a million dollars and it's going to create trillions of dollars in liquidity. And then on an everyday basis, you'll use the smallest denomination of Bitcoin, which would be a Satoshi. Yeah. And I, I guess that's possible um, for a number of reasons, but... I mean, we were talking about definitely the block size going down and getting cut in half and then um, every four years or whatever. I mean, the only thing that would justify that is the Bitcoin price going up, which it has over the last 10 years pretty religiously. I mean, I, th I think the interesting thing is going to be whether or not people stay in Bitcoin faithfully when the rest of the market matures, when Ethereum continues to mature and creates alternatives to Bitcoin under Ethereum and then all these other projects. There's tons of other projects that are obviously aiming to solve this issue. And I'm definitely not a 100% all in for Bitcoin nut. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do see the advantages that are being offered through Lightning Network for Bitcoin. And I, I'm very hopeful for it. And I, I hope that it does work out because that'd be awesome. But um, at the same time, I am skeptical of it too. I mean, I I don't know if Bitcoin will be like the ultimate solution. Yeah, you, you know, Ethereum has its own problems too. Um, obviously, Ethereum can't get their gas fees down. They can't come to consensus to implement new features for it to upgrade it to get it to what is it? Ethereum two point that they're aiming for. Uh -huh. So I, I don't know. I think there's a fair amount of skepticism for just about everything in the space. But yeah, that's just that's my little sermon <laughs> on the matter. <laughs> Was there anything that you wanted to talk about PodCrypt specifically or anything that you have coming up with it? Or is there anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about? I'll kind of leave the end of this open-ended for you. Okay, yeah. Um, let me think. So I think the main thing about PodCrypt is you can use it now. You don't have to donate if you don't want to, mm -hmm. and you just go to podcrypt.app, and you can use it on on all the major platforms right now. So I think that's I think we covered most everything for Podcrypt, so that that's pretty good. Um, I did I kind of experimented with another project a couple weeks ago called Sustain Us, and uh, it's essentially the Podcrypt or the Brave model, but for open source software. So it's very similar. You, you install an application on your desktop computer. And if you're a developer, you have a ton of open source dependencies that you've installed. And so Sustainus will go and scan them all and find Ethereum addresses in the, the configuration files and lets you set up, you know, the same thing, set up a donation amount and, a, and an interval. So I, I experimented with that and did some validation. Um, I think this model is a powerful model and I, my vision of the future for content 
which I would love for this to come true is essentially you voluntarily choose how much you can give and you just give one subscription to essentially everything. So like, okay, I'll, I'll give my $100 per month subscription to the internet. And it'd be amazing if somehow that could be split up between, you know, all the people that are providing value and then you just have an even more open, free and, you know, flexible internet, essentially web of, of, of content. So that's what I want to try to help build. And I definitely don't think PodCrypt is going to do this alone, even in the podcasting space. But I hope PodCrypt becomes an example to the other podcast apps of, you know, a viable a funding mechanism for the app and for podcasts. And there's nothing proprietary to PodCrypt's model. Like they could just copy the features and I'm, I'm going to, PodCrypt's already open source. The repo's private right now. I, I want to keep it kind of close mm-hmm. so I can just kind of move quickly and stuff. But, you know, I'll even open that up eventually. And so I think together we can hopefully change the podcasting industry and then move from there. Yeah, I hope so. I'm podcast industry is growing crazy. It'd be awesome to see some upgrades to it, some changes, some positive developments and, and uh, merging podcasting with crypto and blockchain. So love what you're doing with it. And hopefully pod pod crypt does, um, does a lot of good and continues to develop and become successful. And if not, um, definitely at least paves a path. So yeah, thank you for everything you're doing with that. And at the same time, thanks for coming on and taking the time to be on the podcast and share a little bit about PodCrypt and what you're doing and whatnot. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you. It's been awesome. Yeah. How can people follow you or follow PodCrypt? I know you have a Telegram channel. What's the Telegram channel? And then what's your um, your Twitter handle? Because I know you're pretty active on Twitter. Yeah, so the Telegram handle is PodCrypt, or the group name is PodCrypt. Uh, so you can go to t.me slash PodCrypt. Or my Twitter handle is at LastMJS. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And talk to you again soon. See ya.